This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you in what is now our 20th consecutive program dealing with COVID-19 and the current pandemic. It is the topic that doesn't go away. And as we can tell, in 23 states in these United States, we see cases continue to climb. And it's not just the number of cases. I mean, people are out there, governors who are trying to play defense and politics here are saying, well, we're doing more testing. That's why there's more cases. But you really have to look at the number of hospitalizations. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. Are more people being hospitalized for this problem? And the answer is, in those states, yes, And we've all worked on this theory that, well, once the weather got warm, this is going to go away. Not the case. If you look at the states where we're seeing these increases, they're all in the south. And it's hot. Arizona is hot right now. And so is Florida. So these cases keep going up. And it's really becoming somewhat distressing for all of us in the science community to see. Much credit and positive credit goes to the state of Connecticut. Now, you could say what you think about government and the governor and play politics, but our state's pretty safe and people have been cooperating. And I think that demonstrates the fact that we're, we've done the right thing here in Connecticut and should continue to do the right thing until we get to that goal line. The goal line meaning that we have a treatment or a vaccine. This isn't going to be here forever. We will get a vaccine. But the question is, can we keep our fellow citizens safe from now, between now and then? Uh, Today's format, uh, we're going to, I'm going to talk a little bit here. We're going to do some updates. I'm going to open the lines up in the second uh, portion of the show. And then in the second half of the show, uh, we're going to have as my guest, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. Dr. Rajkumar has been a frequent guest on our program. He's an infectious disease specialist, and he works right on the front line. He is an ID specialist at Bacchus Hospital, part of Hartford Healthcare East Region, and we're going to chat with him about some of his observations over the course of the past three and a half months. Now, I personally want to talk to you a little bit about, in our lab, I do electrodiagnostic studies Um, at UConn. And in most labs around the country, we've started to test patients for COVID-19 before they come to the office. And the reason being that if you are with a provider in close contact for more than 15 minutes, it's believed that it is best to be tested. That's the same for same-day surgery, colonoscopy, things such as that. But I will have to admit that I thought it was important also that I could share with the patient that 
I've been tested as well. So, you know, this shouldn't be just one-sided. I think patients have a right to know that their provider has been tested. So I went to St. Francis uh, yesterday. Uh, they have a drive-through testing area, and uh, it was a great experience. Um, it takes a little bit of a little while uh, from the standpoint of getting paperwork done, but they don't use insurance information. The testing is entirely free and they do it and they call you directly with the result and you could get a printed copy of the result as well but I, my kudos to saint francis and i'm hoping it's like that in other places but they made it uh, very easy and uh, i'll say it may be a little bit uncomfortable to get the specimen but it it, it wasn't that bad now, one of the problems we're having is, you know, we've talked about about on this show about false negatives, right? Somebody gets the test, it's negative, but they're really positive. And I've become suspicious uh, based on a patient I chatted with last week that had her specimen taken, but instead of somebody doing it, they give you the swab and watch you put it up your nose. Now, I have to tell you, putting that swab that far up your nose that you need to get an adequate sample that's like telling somebody somebody hand you something and say put it in your eye i mean it's hard to do yourself I, I don't think there's any way i could do that so i'm thinking that a lot of the false negatives may be because the samples have not been corrected properly collected properly and i'm going to bring that up with uh, our guest dr raj kumar um, there's no doubt that we're seeing an increase in cases, uh, as I mentioned before. The statistics continue to be astounding. In the United States, we have over 2.2 million positive cases. These are documented cases of COVID-19 and over 120 deaths related to COVID-19. Again, positive tests that indicate these people died because of COVID-19. Fortunately, in Connecticut, our death rate is only 4,238. And uh, we've, as I've said, done, done a great job of trying to control this by social distancing, using masks, and washing your hands. One of the things that people are expressing is really things you, I saw an article this week, things you should not leave your home without. And those are a mask, hand sanitizer, and tissues. The tissues are important if you need to blow your nose or clear anything from your face or if you need to hold a door handle of some type and you don't have anything handy, you don't want to use your hand, you can use a tissue. So um, tissues would be uh, helpful to carry with you along with your mask and hand sanitizer. Um, you know, again, we talked about the importance of masks ad nauseum on this program and and i just don't get what people think and why they think it's a political statement whether they're going to wear a mask or not wear a mask and a perfect example is this there are two uh hairdressers in missouri who worked for a company called great clips and they both tested positive for covid19 they had already reopened they were following all the guidelines. They wore masks. Customers wore masks. Chairs were social distanced. They tested positive. So they had to go back and contact trace 
what were 140 of their clients, 140 clients who came into close contact with them getting their hair cut. And of those 140, no one had COVID-19, despite these two people being positive and pre-symptomatically spreading the virus. So that proves to us that we can reopen. We can reopen businesses. We can reopen restaurants as long as we follow the guidelines that Dr. Fauci has spoken about since the beginning. It's when we deviate from those guidelines that we get these dramatic outbreaks. And it's extremely important to follow that. Quite honestly, this week we're going to see a real experiment in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma is going to become a Petri dish uh, of an experiment. Why? Because you're going to have large groups. You're going to have a large group of people going to a rally who are going to be in, indoors. And so far, it seems that most refuse to wear masks. On the other side of the coin, you're going to have protesters. And it's a question of whether they're going to wear masks. So you're going to have a lot of people in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is not a really large city from that standpoint. So it's going to be interesting to see how many cases come out of that. It's also going to indicate to us how safe or unsafe it is to do other things. You know, this week, churches have started to open up again. And churches have been particular areas where we've seen a lot of spread of virus. Why? Because of a great deal of singing, um, praying out loud, praying together, and people being in close contact. So we're trying to gradually reopen churches, but uh, I think that these can be dangerous places for spread of virus and something we need to keep in mind. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to open up the phone lines. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You can also reach me at my email, info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and we're chatting, as always, about COVID-19. And uh, in this segment, we will be taking questions, and we'll be talking about some of the questions I get along the way during the week at info at alessimd.com. Uh, many questions come with, when will sports be back? And I think we're starting to see sports return. Um, today, the sport of horse racing is uh, returning with the Belmont Stakes. Uh, golf has returned. They've had two events, and we're looking forward to the Travelers Championship here in Connecticut that, again, will not have live spectators but will be broadcast on television and a, share a different way of enjoying sports. Other sports have been getting back. I work a lot with the Professional Bull Riders Tour, and they have come back in, in an interesting way. They have broken up the riders into pods. Uh, and in these pods, there are riders and support staff, and those are the only people you interact with. Uh, their early events that were done in Oklahoma, they were assigned RVs. They actually had hundreds of RVs out there for them to live in isolation until the events. So they created a bubble. Um, this week's event was in Las Vegas, and again, 
Riders have to be tested before the event. And in this case, three riders tested positive, so they were not allowed to participate. And four other riders who had close contact with those riders were not allowed to participate. So we're getting back to sports, but again, we're doing it in a logical, intelligent fashion. And, and we're hoping to see the same with the NBA, the NHL, uh, the Phillies, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, their camp in Clearwater, Florida, had to be shut down yesterday because of several players testing positive. So we just need to move forward in a logical fashion. One of the questions I had this week was regarding blood group type and susceptibility to COVID-19. In a recent article that was published, they looked at they're, they're looking at, and, and part of this study was part of it, was blood group, because they looked at which people are more susceptible, susceptible to respiratory failure, right? The devastating problem with COVID-19 that results in death. And obviously, they came up with the usual list of culprits, cardiovascular disease, obesity, hypertension, diabetes. They also did a genomic study looking at genes and seeing what factors genetically might predispose to this. And one of the things they came up with was blood type. So apparently, people with A positive blood type are 45% more likely to develop respiratory symptoms from the virus, as opposed to those who are O positive who are 35% less likely to develop respiratory, severe respiratory failure. Now, that doesn't mean that because I'm O positive, I won't get the virus. You'll still get the virus. The question is how devastating it may be. And this was a small sample, but again, tells us a lot about the virus and how it affects our body by attaching to red blood cells. Um, and it's important to look at it from that standpoint. Uh, someone else asked me, um, they were faced with a situation where their employer uh, wanted them to sign a waiver uh, regarding uh, their right to sue if they contract COVID-19 as part of their employment. Um, I don't know the legalities of signing waivers and workers' compensation for people with COVID-19, uh, nor do I pretend to know these things. Uh, but um, uh, what I really uh, wanted to make clear is that when someone tells you that something is absolutely safe, yet they ask you to sign a waiver, I think that's an indication that it's not absolutely safe. Uh, and that may mean any number of things, getting on a certain ride um, but, or being in an environment where you may contract this virus. So I ask people to be very, very cautious uh, regarding the possibility of uh, where uh, uh, you sign these things and where you are going because you need to be quite careful. Another study this week came out, and I had a question about dexamethasone, a study done in London. This is a commonly used uh, antibiotic, uh, anti-inflammatory medication. It is a steroid medication, 
And what they found was by using dexamethasone in people who were seriously ill, they were able to diminish deaths by 35%. Now, those are patients who are already on mechanical ventilation. So they found that people on mechanical ventilation who got dexamethasone were able to avoid death. They looked at people who also just needed oxygen and got dexamethasone, and their death rate was diminished by 20%. Boris Johnson, the prime minister of England, came out and said this was a drug that he received, and he credited a great deal with him avoiding serious, more serious complications from COVID-19. Uh, I'm going to be sure to discuss that with our guest, Dr. Raj Kumar, later on. Uh, in the sense that it does not, it's my belief that it does not directly treat the virus, but will help avoid some of the serious complications of the virus. Uh, it's also of note, I mean, now we're getting into vacation season. The Canadian border is still closed, and they've extended that closure till J July 21st. Uh, you know, sadly, foreign countries don't want us coming there. You know, we've always said we're going to build walls around this country. We don't want people coming in here. But other countries are doing the same thing. And that's been the case with Canada. In fact, the NHL, when they return, um, they're going to be playing primarily in Canada, where it seems that their rate of infection has continued to drop um, as opposed to here. Another question came up about convalescent plasma. And this came up in the past as well. Uh, and... Uh, can it be used to avoid getting COVID-19? And uh, it, it can only for a temporary basis. So we've only been using convalescent plasma in people who are seriously ill. Uh, or have, but now they're trying in people who have a high risk of exposure. So the, the jury's still out on convalescent plasma. We know it works, but we're still looking at different settings. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Michael Rajkumar, and we're going to be taking questions throughout the time. He is an infectious disease specialist at the William W. Backus Hospital. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And uh, during the break, we had someone call in and wanted to know what the numbers were for the COVID hotlines. Um, the number at St. Francis uh, Trinity Healthcare was 203-709-6848. Uh, Hartford Healthcare has a number at 833-621-0600. And Yukon Health, 860 679 Three one three three. I would also recommend trying to go to these uh, various websites because there's a lot of information there um, for you to get about COVID-19 and services available, especially when you can be tested. My guest today is Dr. Michael Rajkumar. Dr. Rajkumar is a specialist in infectious diseases. He has done this for many years at the William W. Backus Hospital. He's part of Hartford HealthCare. He is one of the doctors who's on the front lines. He's treating these patients who have COVID-19 in the ICU. He's also a friend. 
He is the person I turn to for advice. So I like to be very straightforward with everybody. I mean, I bring people on who I have respect for, but um, I have so much respect for this man that whenever I have a question about myself or my family, he's the guy I contact. So it's great to have him on. Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, uh, Tony. Thanks for your uh, kind words. Uh, Good to be with you. Mike, let's start by... I mean, we're into this three and a half months, and I'd like to know what are some of your observations as an infectious disease specialist as to what has evolved uh, over time, uh, moving in the right direction? What What are your observations? Um, so when it came upon us, of course, all of us were, um, you know, were a little bit... Um, surprise and you know didn't know a lot about it but over the past few months we have learned a lot and we have also uh, adapted and uh, are more prepared in uh, taking care of patients with this disease Um, and again the surprising part of it is it's very hard for us to really tell who would do well and who would not do well I mean of course we do know that people who have chronic medical conditions like hypertension, diabetes, or um, already immunosuppressed secondary to some type of uh, um, cancer or other uh, diseases where they need to take immunosuppressive medication, they tend to do badly. But we also have seen some of them do well and others, you know, who we think shouldn't be, get, you know, doing badly, like younger patients, uh, they have done poorly too. So, it, there is no way to predict how things would turn out. That has been one of the observations. Mike, what uh, what is different in eastern Connecticut? Your numbers are especially low there compared to the rest of the state. Um, can you, Do you have any insight as to why the numbers were so low in eastern Connecticut and uh, basically uh, Wyndham and Bacchus Hospital? Yeah, I mean, I have to say we are very fortunate that our numbers were much lower than any of the other hospitals that um, within our Hartford Healthcare or even uh, in New London. Um, I think one of the possible reasons could be that um, uh, the folks who are in the eastern region are probably not living in too crowded conditions and probably also not traveling a lot. Maybe that could one small reason because, as we know, in the southern part of the state, because of close proximity and the frequent travel between New York, which is the epicenter of the uh, illness, that we had a lot more cases that showed up in uh, um, uh, uh, New Haven and Bridgeport, that area, compared to our area, I mean, maybe that is one of the reasons that I could say, but really there is, um, uh, I can't, beyond that, I cannot tell you why it could be the reason why we had lower numbers. Mike, in your experience, now you've tried a lot of stuff, and I know that. When you have a dying patient on a respirator, you're going to try everything you can. I mean, that's what we do. Um, Without controlled double-blind studies. Um, what have you found to be most effective 
in the clutch, and meaning when someone's going downhill, has it been convalescent plasma, steroids, what, you know, hydrochloroquine for a while, and everybody was using uh, remdesivir. What have you found to be most effective in those critical times? I think, Tony, to be honest, when somebody is in that dire situation, like where you know, they are in 100% oxygen on a ventilator with all their numbers going critically wrong. I don't think anything really works at that point. But what we have known in, the, in this two or three months where we have learned is that even though in the beginning that, you know, we were told not to use steroids, use of steroids seemed to have some impact for sure. And now with the Decadron study that is, you know, again, we need to see the full data, which is not yet published, but it is a controlled uh, randomized study. So almost always in medicine, when you have a randomized controlled uh, study that each, the, the, the results are um, usually uh, good and uh, Trust were, you know, we, we should trust those numbers. So in our experience, um, I think it is sometime in April, we started utilizing steroids. Some of our, my um, uh, intensive care colleagues uh, also, I think there were some conversations that we have had with uh, some people in uh, um, uh, New York and um, uh, you know, they were using it, and we started using. And I have to say that our outcomes were slightly better uh, post-use of steroids uh, compared to pre-steroid use. And then in the beginning, we did not have the convalescent plasma. I think if you use convalescent plasma early on, it seemed to have some effect also. Um, the, I think, you know, as you know, Tony, when we first started, we had only hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. Both of these have turned out to be not necessarily any good at all. And yeah. then we were able to get into the study protocol for the plasma. Uh, and once we were able to do that, we did have a better outcome. Uh, I think, you know, uh, I think the steroid... Um, even though the full results are not yet out, I think it will will be borne out to be uh, true. And I think low to moderate doses of steroids uh, would have an impact on uh, these patients. The studies being done on steroids, since we're on the topic, are really on people who are on mechanical ventilation mm -hmm. or needing oxygen. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think it would have an effect early on when someone presents with early symptoms? Um, and again, I know that's not the study that's ongoing now, but if someone presented with early symptoms of COVID-19, um, do you think prophylactically treating them uh, with, well, I shouldn't even say it's prophylactic. If you, if you started early treatment of a burst and taper of Decadron, do you think it would help? I don't think so, Tony. I think that we need to understand that, you know, steroids, um, it, you know, it's a, almost always steroids and infection. It's a controversy because, sure. uh, you know, steroid 
is the greatest anti-inflammatory, but also it's a immunosuppressant. In higher doses, it suppresses T cells. So, um, you know, in, you know, that's why we have all this controversy during sepsis, septic shock, you know, uh, certain bacterial infections, because sure. they, if you give it, you, in, you know, decrease the immune system, thereby the ability of the body to clear the infection goes down. So it is a balance. So the, I think the reason why Decadron or any of the other steroid, corticosteroids had impact on patients with uh, COVID, especially the ones who are extremely sick, is because I think the problem at that point is the cytokine storm. And the numbers that we see, we normally do not see. The, the CRP, the ferritin, they, are, they just start climbing. Sure. And uh, I think steroid or, for that matter, the IL-6 inhibitor that we have also used, um, I think it works because it blunts that inflammatory response. So I think once that inflammatory response is, you know, again, we, it, it appears that in asymptomatic patients, the inflammatory response is not that robust. That's why they are asymptomatic and they do well. In symptomatic patients, again, not all of them have the same kind of um, inflammatory response. But when they do have, I think that is where I think the steroid comes to play because it uh, at least downregulates the uh, cytokine response because, you know, it, it has not only, you know, it, the corticosteroid receptors and then the downregulation of subsequent like IL-6, IL-1, IL-2, you know, TNF-alpha, all of those things, they, everything gets downregulated. Uh, and so I think that is where the importance of steroid comes. And if somebody is, um, as you know, Tony, not everybody ends up requiring oxygen. There are some people who don't require oxygen. They have symptoms, but they get better. So is there any role for steroids there? I don't think so, because you may may create some problems rather than, you know, unless, unless some randomized study could prove that much lower doses of steroids in, you know, mild to moderate disease, you know, if you really have to do the study, sure. see if that made any difference. But I think uh, as physicians, we are not using steroids up front just because somebody's test came back positive and they have, you know, some mild symptoms of cough and shortness of breath, but not really having... Uh, increasing oxygen demand and uh, other uh, signs of deterioration. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. Um, we want to talk about the vaccine, uh, what he knows about progress with the vaccine, and herd immunity. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and my guest today is Dr. Michael Rajkumar. And we were treat- talking a little bit about treatment for COVID-19 and people who are critically ill, but I guess the real question, Mike, comes up is the vaccine, um, the possibilities of a vaccine and when. 
What's your impression of the progress being made in this area? Well, as you know, Tony, um, in, for any uh, disease, when we are looking for a vaccine, um, you know, it takes time to develop vaccine um, because once you develop one, you obviously have to go through the trials, you know, phase one, two, three, and without, you know, um, having those trials and having safety data, it's very hard for us to um, have vaccines available. And we are still very early in this pandemic, and um, there are um, many you know, candidates that are being um, tested in, you know, phase one, two, that sort of a thing. And, uh, uh, you know, some into phase three trials looks like. And until more information is available, it's really hard for us to say when it will be available. You know, um, we have heard Dr. Fauci saying, you know, it would take more than a year and we can try to push, but it is still, I would be, I don't know, I would be very surprised that we, we were to have an effective vaccine that can be given, um, you know, later this year. Um, I, I don't, I can't, you know, it's a 50-50. I hope we are able to have something, but I don't think that we will be able to have something um, you know, in the fall of this year. Okay. Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, I think that would be optimistic, but I'm hoping for some time next year. Uh, Mike, we have a caller on the line who has a question. Dan, um, you had a question for Dr. Rajkumar. We only have a minute, so we got to be fast here. I read that um, in New York, someone had COVID-19 and they gave it a medication for Lyme disease and it worked. The medication began with G. I don't have the full name of the medication. Do you anything about that? Okay, thanks for the question, Dan. Mike, do you have any question? You have any information on a treatment for Lyme disease that worked for COVID? No, there is okay. uh, no, no. So as of now, we really, really do not have any uh, antiviral medication that is fully, you know, known to work. Remdesivir is the only drug that is uh, being used. Um, and it is not FDA fully approved. It, it has gotten emergency use, use authorization. Yep. And the studies that we know so far has only shown modest improvement in the hospitalization or recovery from 15 days to 11 days, the four-day improvement. Um, there is never, none of the studies have shown any mortality benefit or other benefits other than this. But then we'll go with that. Hey, Mike, mm -hmm. thank you very much for your time. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us, and thanks for everything you're doing in Eastern Connecticut for our patients, buddy. Thank you very much, Tony. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks. With that, uh, we're going to close. I want to thank Dr. Raj Kumar for his time. If you missed any part of today's show, you can get it on our podcast, Healthy Rounds Podcast. Many thanks to Mike Oko, who's been on the board today. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for healthy rounds. Uh, I just take a brief moment to let remind everybody that it's important now when we're faced with an enemy 
and we're in the fight of our lives here with COVID-19, that we need to bring ourselves together. We need to come together as Americans and as a planet to fight this and just do the right thing until we can get to the finish line of a vaccine. With that, I also want to take time to wish all the fathers out there a happy Father's Day tomorrow, and I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.